You're listening to Just Hit Play with your hosts, Peter and Nick Cabral. If you're tired of your stagnant, streamed music feed, then strap yourselves in for an intergenerational sonic journey through Peter and Nick's favorite songs. Welcome to episode 20 of Just Hit Play. I'm your host, Peter. With me is my co-host, Nick. Nick, how are you? I'm doing as well as always. Very much enjoying the fall weather. It's my favorite season. So, you know, this last week has been really good to me. Uh, it's it's just beautiful weather here in Canada, so I can't complain. And we're working away on university. So same yeah. old, but it's all good. And you have an exam coming up. Is that what you said? Uh, yeah, my first midterm. Is coming what's, up soon. what's your exam on? It's on nutrition, uh, micronutrients and phytochemicals, that, that sort of stuff. So very riveting. Yes. And of course, you know, as, as you're part of the medical community, you're part of the, uh, you know, conspiracy about the vaccines and putting, you know, things in vaccines so they can trigger you and follow you around the world. So I uh, hope that's going well as well. Yeah, no, our, our plan for global domination through vaccines is it's, it's going pretty well, honestly. Fantastic. That's what I like to hear. The only the only issue is we weren't expecting this, but it, it's the vaccinated people don't seem to be dying. It's 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 not what was intended. But yeah. It's only the unvaccinated people, sadly. Well, we just have to get the booster, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. Just have to wait for the booster. In our Brisbane studios, we have our lovely engineer, Darren. Darren, how you doing? I'm doing good. Okay. Uh, I thought I'd start this episode with some remarks uh, that people have said to me about the podcast and the songs that we've played. Go for it. Okay. The first comment is from Brayden, who actually wrote our theme song. And this is what Brayden said to me. He goes, I've been playing that cult riff all week, at least trying to. It's only two strings and one is actually fretted. I don't know what that means. It's genius. Thanks for reminding me how much I love the cult. Ah, fantastic. So that was from I'm Brayden. glad we could re uh, reinvigorate that love. Uh, Lucy, my friend Lucy wrote, love the episode this week. Rocked out to Sanctuary. Nice, nice. Nice. Uh, this is Andrew. Andrew said, I did need another lesson about the Beatles. Sorry about that, Andrew. <laughs> and then my friend Shem wrote, uh, as per usual, great podcast. My boyfriend described me as the fangirl from Flight of the Concords. <laughs> nice, nice. Thank you, Shem. And thank you, everyone, for those lovely comments. Yes, thank you. All right. Are you ready to get into the song? I sure am. All right. So the first song we're going to listen to is by R.E.M. It's called Pop Song 89. Uh, as, as you know, we've pre, we asked people to listen to the song with us this week. Uh, so please let us know what you think of Pop Song 89. Darren, just hit play. That was Pop Song 89 by R.E.M. That song came out in 1989 from the album Green, which is one of my favorite R.E.M. albums. Nick, tell me what you thought of the song. I have a controversial opinion. Tell me. Um, I This is my favorite R.E.M. song that I've ever heard. Uh-oh. And I feel, like, I feel like that might be blasphemous because, no, you know, no, not at all. losing my religion, everybody hurts. Uh, it's the end of the world as we know it. But no, this is this is my favorite REM song for sure. It has a real. I love the REM jangly guitar. Uh, that's you can always tell it's an REM song as soon as that sort of guitar song uh, style starts. 
yeah, I love the guitar in this song. Like at some points uh, when it gets fuzzy, it reminded yeah. me of like 60s rock almost or um, sort of what Rush used to do with their guitars. And I love that part of the song. Yeah, um, yeah it's just it, it's such a well-produced song, uh, you know, in your headphones, the, the way they use you know, stereo and panning on all the instruments and, and different tracks. Oh, it just sounds so good. So let me paint you a picture. In, in the 1980s, I'm 13 to like, when I started sort of getting into music seriously, I was like 13 to 15. And the only bands that I really listened to were U2 and R.E.M. I loved this album. This, as, you, as I said, this album came out in 1989. I would have been about 14, 15 years old when this album came out. And it, it really just changed me. Uh, it's such a good pop album and really cemented my love for R.E.M. when this album came out. Yeah, as the name implies, this definitely sounds like a pop song, but it's a really good one. Like, you know, it's it's not like the genre it's parodying, which can be generic and uninspired. This, you know, there, there there's something deeper going on here than it just being a generic pop song. And I also appreciate that the way it's it seems to me like they were trying to um, parody the music industry to some degree. Um, you know, a little bit of satire in the song, and I, I really appreciate that too. Yeah, REM's always been an interesting band. Their music videos, and I asked you to watch this music video specifically, and we'll talk, we'll touch on that a little bit later. But their music videos were always a little bit different because they refused to lip sync for years in any music video. They did it really early on in their career, and they hated it so much that they refused to lip sync in any video, pretty much up until. Losing my religion is the is when they lip sync for the first time in a, in a in a video. Hmm, that's interesting. I, yeah. That's so commonplace nowadays. Like every music video is just an artist, you know, doing something, but then they're mouthing the the lyrics the yeah. whole time. No, they they hated it so much, and I think it was South Central Rain, which is off their Murmur album, I think, which was nineteen eighty two. They hated it so much that they refused to do it from that point on. And as you can tell in this song, there is no. Michael Stipe, the lead singer of R.E.M., is not miming the lyrics in any way in the video. No, not at all. He's just dancing around, having a good time, pretty much. What did you think of the video? Um, I thought it was very interesting. Uh, I like that it's kind of a statement on the, you know, over-sexualization of the nipple. You know, that was very apparent. And also just, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was a cool vibe for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like it would have been very controversial when it first came out. <laughs> sure. And, and let me tell you about that. So the video, if no, if no one's ever seen it, is a topless Michael Stipe with three female dancers dancing to this song, basically. Uh, completely nude. Uh, there's no covering of any breasts or anything in the video. When this was made and, and sent to MTV in 1989, they refused to play it. So what... In the original video, there are black bars across the girls, across their chests, and also a black bar across Michael Stipe as well, just to show just to show how ridiculous it is. Yeah, I like that, and good on him for um, yeah. for deciding to make that statement and kind of point out the hypocrisy there. I like yeah. that. Yeah, and so that really made it. Um, I actually think the black bars in the 1980s and the early 90s made it actually more rememberable because, yeah, it, it was sort of like hinting at what I'm going to use the word titillation. What uh, what was <laughs> out there, uh, and they're sort of hiding it ridiculously. And that's uh, it's only been in the last few years that they actually released the uncensored version of the video. Hmm. 
yeah, I, f- I feel like society society's progressed a bit um, since 1989. So, you know, that didn't really even phase me at all seeing that in the video. Um, yeah. But yeah, I can imagine the, the controversy and, you know, the MTV executives reaction when they first were sent that video, they must have been so pissed. Yeah. America's a really interesting place. It loves violence. But glorifies, sexu- you could glorifies violence. But as soon as you have a little bit of sexuality, they freak out. Um, yeah. I like to think that it goes back to the puritanical uh, ideology because America was founded by the Puritans who hated anything sexual, but didn't mind killing the odd uh, Native American or two. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely think that's, that's true. I mean, not to get too deep into um, the ramifications of colonialism, but, um, you know, America and North America in general, um, like any colonial state has a very violent past. So I feel like yeah. that's kind of um, baked into the DNA of culture and therefore it's not considered as taboo wherever just, just like you said, you know, those puritanical ideals, you know, the um, religious ideals, always very anti-sex, nudity, anything like that. Yeah. So, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting point. It, it really is. And I have an REM story to tell you. Sure. Remember I tell you a lot of weird things happened to me at concerts? Yeah, you've got a pension for that. Okay. So here's another weird thing that happened to me at a concert. Uh, so it would have been like the mid-90s. I would have gone to see REM at the Molson Amphitheater became, before it became the Molson Amphitheater. So I just want to let you know the, where, we, where we are. Okay. I'm with my friend Andrew and my friend Steve. Steve was very upset the whole time we were going to the show because he didn't have any drugs with him. Let me just preface you by preface the story by saying that he was okay. really he was really bummed out because he had no drugs. Yeah, I mean that's that's unfortunate, poor guy. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. So while we're outside of the venue before we get in, I spot Daniel Richler. Let me tell you who Daniel Richler is. Uh, he is a British Canadian novelist and TV personality. He's the stepson of Mordecai Richler. Do you know who Mordecai Richler is? I can't say I do. So Mordecai Richler wrote uh, a Canadian classic book called the apprenticeship of duddy kravitz he he's he's recently passed he probably passed about 10 years ago but he wrote another book called bernie's barney's version that i love i love that book really um quite a lot so he's considered one of the great canadian authors if you ever want to read uh the apprenticeship of duddy kravitz it's set in montreal it's a really it's a really good book okay so daniel richler is his stepson and daniel richler i first got to know him when he was a, a TV presenter on, on a show called The New Music. The New Music was around before MTV, before Much Music, and like the name suggests, they put on new music. And that's where, when I was a kid, I listened to a lot of new bands. Right. He was also on a TV show called Imprint, which just talked about books. That was what the show was about. It was on TV Ontario, so it was like a PBS sort of show. He also wrote a book called Kicking Tomorrow, which I read and particularly loved. So I'm at this REM concert, and who do I spot but Daniel Richler? He's very easy to spot. He's been on TV my whole childhood, basically. So me and Andrew walk over to him and start talking to him. And I tell him how much I loved him on the new music, and he says, oh, thanks a lot. That's really nice. And then Andrew starts talking to him about books and how he was really, really good on imprint. And I tell him how I read Kicking Tomorrow, which I really loved. And, you know, when are you going to come out with a new book? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm working on stuff. Then Steve walks up and goes, do you have any drugs? <laughs> no he didn't he did which ended the conversation uh, which ended the conversation as daniel said no he didn't have any drugs 
Um, and then we're like, okay, bye. So, so did did Steve recognize him and know he was a celebrity, or he did, did he just think he was okay? He, he did. He figured he had drugs. Ah, uh, I mean. Yeah. It's not the worst bet, but definitely a a very awkward uh, way to ask (laughs) or to bring that up at all. Later uh, at the show, when we were inside, because we were in the in the general mission grass area, Steve created a sign saying, I need drugs and just walked around until some until someone (laughs) sold him some drugs. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I feel like that's definitely the right approach (laughs) over asking uh, this this celebrity TV personality in a very public place for drugs, and Steve's response when I said you'll you'll get in trouble for for doing that, and he goes, "It's not illegal to write up a sign." That uh, he's not wrong. He's, he's not, not wrong. wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, Steve is always one of my favorite characters, and uh, he's a really good guy, and just really smart, and always came up with these really weird things um, like that. And uh, that he provides was, good stories. He w- he was once at a stoplight at in port credit. This is another story. He was once at a stoplight at port credit and he was waiting for cars to stop. And then as cars stopped, he would go to each car and ask if anyone was selling any drugs. <laughs> Someone then called the police. Yeah. And, naturally. and then the police showed up and asked him, was like, are you the guy that's asking people to have, to have, if they're selling any drugs? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, do you have any drugs on you? And he goes, why would I be asking people for drugs? <laughs> <laughs> if I had drugs on me. Oh my God. That's, uh, there you go. He's a smart guy. He's, he, he's very right. Yeah. Apparently it's, it's not illegal if anyone's a task, if anyone's selling drugs, apparently buying yeah. at the time was illegal, but right. asking that seemed just fine. Yeah. So Damn. yeah, Steve, Steve always made me laugh. He was, there was always funny stories with Steve. Awesome. Well, shout out Steve. It must be a completely different world now where pot is legal. Um, compared to the world that I grew up in. Yeah. I mean, you've got dispensaries next to grocery stores. So, (laughs) you know, it's, if, if I ever walk in there to, um, to purchase a product, it's, it's very strange seeing, um, you know, older people, you know, like, uh, fifties and up, uh, even elderly people in there sometimes in dispensaries. It's very strange because it's, it, it goes against a lot of generalizations and stereotypes that, were previously attributed to uh to weeds so yeah, yeah it's crazy to see that stigma get broken down year over year before your eyes we always thought it would eventually become we we thought it would become decriminalized we never thought it would become legal to to purchase uh, pot in canada so yeah that was always our ideology that it eventually be decriminalized but to see it even go further is it's it's good it's uh, it show, I like to think that that shows how great Canada is by by doing that, especially living next door to the United States, where you know they're not always the most um, understanding of nations. Yes, yes, this is true. This is true. Yeah. But yeah, I also think um, you know I think the government wanted uh, a piece of that revenue, <laughs> that that weed revenue. They wanted some of that tax, which I mean, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so they wanted to regulate it and um, you know make sure that they were adhering to all these codes and, and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny how the Canadian government is now invested in marijuana and gambling. Uh, Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Two very addictive things that is sanctioned by your government, but very profitable and things that will happen regardless of their criminal status and their legality. 
right? So I guess they figure you might as well regulate it to the best of your abilities and make some profit off it while you're at it. Absolutely. Should we ask uh, Darren what he thought about the REM song? Yeah, yeah. Let's bring it back to the REM song. Darren, what'd you think? Yeah, I didn't mind it. And yeah, I was surprised of the video clip when I watched it. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, please. I recommend anyone watch the video clip. Um, It's it's quite artistic and would have been very weird to see back in 1989. Absolutely, it would have. All right. All right, Nick, you're up. Uh, I'm really excited about this song this week, so go for it. Okay. So as I mentioned in last week's episode, I've been waiting the whole time from the beginning of this podcast journey. I have been waiting for the right time to showcase Playboy Cardi and what this this artist has to offer and what this artist means to me. Um, and, you know, the perfect opportunity kind of fell into my lap when you said that hip hop needs to go through its own sort of punk phase where there needs to be that level of experimentation um, happening in hip hop to kind of wipe the slate clean. And, you know, my my brain first went to Playboy Cardi because that's sort of exactly what he's doing, at least in my opinion. And so the song that I've chosen for this week is Stop Breathing. It's from his uh, Whole Lot of Red album released in December 2020. And Darren, why don't you just hit play on this one? talk about it what do you think that stop breathing yeah it's getting there I, i'd say this compared to the song that we heard last week by kanye west <laughs> is very different so this is getting more like it uh, you know there was definitely a, a darker tone to this song and i love the just the deep bass on it as well um yeah it's getting there this is this is more what i was talking about yeah the song just absolutely punches you in the face from the second it starts doesn't it like it's just that high frenetic energy right away yeah and if you know when i was sort of getting into music uh, you know in my late teens and and early 20s there were really a lot of dark music that was being produced especially around the grunge era you had a lot you had the industrial side sort of coming out and your nine inch nails and your in your white zombie uh, you know, you can go back to Joy Division back in the in the late seventies and early eighties that were releasing really dark, heavy music in Claw House. So I like I I really like a dark song. So yes, that REM song Pop eighty nine, which is one of my favorite songs, has really pop elements and really jangly guitar. But I like I like all sorts of music. Yeah, and you know what what I love about Playboy Cardi is. That, that dark element. All of his music is kind of, um, for the most part, shrouded in this, I guess, this cloudy atmosphere, which is like part weed smoke and part just, you know, darkness and um, punk energy. And that whole sort of vibe is just felt from his whole persona, the aesthetics of all his albums and videos, and his music. Um, and it's something I really love about him that it's just always so high energy but dark at the same time. You know what's always fascinated me about this this kind of genre of hip hop? 
it's the lyrics are quite misogynist. Right. I had always liked to see like a pop song try to pull off lyrics like this. <laughs> it's just impossible. It would be literally impossible. Like it, it, it just wouldn't play, and people would be up in arms. But it's so funny that in a hip hop song like this is quite a dark hip hop song that is just part and parcel of the genre, which is quite odd. Yeah, it's. I want to be careful here because I don't want to come across as misogynistic because I most certainly am not. Um, and I, I wish that this genre of hip-hop could not <laughs> use that type of language. I really do wish it would, but it's, it is just part and parcel. Um, and, you know, I, I think when, when people ask hip-hop artists about that, it's, you know, they always say, well, you know, it's not meant to be taken literally. Um, and it's just sort of part of how they write their songs in the same way that a violent video game is not meant to inspire violence or um you know put violence on a pedestal or try to make people more violent misogynistic lyrics and rap songs are not meant to um encourage misogyny or promote misogyny it's just a reflection of the environment they grew up in the music that they've listened to and well i guess you can make the argument that continuously listening to things with with certain lyrics can make you feel that way it's it's not the intention right so that's i guess all you can really say about that and i think it's really important that we don't advocate that we edit artists or we ask them to fit in a box the great thing about artists and artistry is that they can perform whatever they want it's their vision. They can perform whatever song or style of song they want. They can sing about whatever they want. As soon as we start editing and trying to get them to fit in boxes, then they become the Backstreet Boys. And no one wants that. Nobody wants the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, part of the reason for for what you said at the beginning, where you don't think these misogynistic lyrics would fly in pop, um, I completely agree. And I think that's entirely because pop music has a bigger audience um, and a wider demographic. Whereas this type of, of music, it's, you know, you kind of know what you're getting into, right? It's, it's hard to be outraged if you know sort of what Playboy Cardi's up to, what he's about, and you listen to him, it's kind of hard to be outraged about his lyrical content, you know? Yeah. He's not going to be played on, on Virgin 99.9 radio Thank at God. all, right? Thank God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because then he'd, he'd be done yeah, um, right away. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really do love Playboy Cardi. I'm happy you were able to appreciate the song for for what it does and what it's trying to do. Absolutely. Um, darkness is is always a fun thing to explore. Uh, the world is a dark place at times. Yes, we all live. Uh, you know, I'm a very happy guy. I I have a wonderful relationship with my with my my girlfriend, and I I'm living the life I've always dreamed I would. But darkness is just around the corner. It, you know, I could just get into a car accident tomorrow, and darkness is just around the corner. So, the darker side of life is always something that should be explored by artists. Yeah, and that actually segues perfectly into um, what I wanted to say about sort of the inspiration behind this song, um, or why Playboy Cardi wrote it and explained some of the lyrics behind it. So. Um, basically this is, uh, this song, it's not really quite apparent at first and it may not ever become apparent to some people because, uh, Playboy Cardi is very unintelligible at some points, just in all his music. Um, but basically, yeah, this song is a diss track and it's aimed at, um, 
a rival, a member of a rival gang from the one Playboy Cardi is associated with, who uh, killed Playboy Cardi's basically right hand man um, and close friend. So um, yeah, it's it. it uh, certain points in the song it's just a complete diss on the rival gang he mentions the guy who killed his best friend by name right. um one of the lyrics says um i had them n-words shank ola for the pie so he's talking about having um the guy stabbed in prison the guy who killed his friend stabbed in prison um rapping all this stuff so you know that's that's real life street beef right there that's real life violence he's talking about and um, I think you as an appreciator of authenticity, um, again, not to advocate for violence, but <laughs> I think that you'd be able to appreciate that that sort of authenticity in this type of music. Oh, absolutely. And if we even look at someone like Lizzo, who obviously is completely different than this music. Very different. But, you know, what I sort of like about Lizzo is that she blew people's minds when all of a sudden she started playing the flute. <laughs> Talent should, when you have talent, you can play an instrument. It so surprises people nowadays. Uh, yeah, when it's when we're so used to the overproduced, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go there, Nick, with the auto tune, and yeah, yeah, you know, as soon as someone shows just a, a tiny bit of talent, and I, I read an interview with her, and and people were telling her, don't play the flute; it won't work. People will not understand it, and and. And obviously Lizzo is not the type of person to, to listen to that kind of stuff, but it's so important to go against the grain. If you're an artist and everyone's going one way, go the other way, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's, that's the way to be remembered. Lizzo is so different compared to everyone else in music at that, you know, right now. Yeah, no, she is. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say I've listened to that much Lizzo music. Oh, neither before, have I. But from, yeah. from what I've heard, I, I like it. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think that's a strong comparison that you just drew. Um, and that's what I'm most drawn to in music. The music I really like the most is creative and has superb production. I value production over lyricism, over vocal performances, Um anything like that. I value strong production and creativity and anyone who's familiar with, um, you know, a bit more of Playboy Cardi's discography would agree with me that those are absolutely his two strongest elements. You know, his, he's not really, he's not a lyrically deep rapper or artist, but his energy, the, the beats he chooses, the ad libs he does. I'm, I'm not sure if you caught just some of the wild ad libs that Ooh. he has in the background of the song. But, you know, no one else is really doing that type of stuff in music right now. Or if they are, it's, you know, very clear that it was inspired by Playboy Cardi. Right. Not to say that, you know, he's the first rapper to ever incorporate ad-libs like that into a song. Definitely not. Young Thug, um, Gucci Mane, Chief Keef, they were all the, you know, really going with that. But Playboy Cardi takes it to a whole new level. So... Yeah, all that to say, you know, he's an extremely creative artist. He's really pushing hip-hop in a different direction. And when this album first came out, it was getting so much hate on social media. I was catching flack from friends who knew I was such a big fan. And they were like, whoa, how do you feel? Like, Cardi dropped a, a trash album, whatever. This is so bad. Like, he's he's just yelling. He's not even, you know 
saying anything. It's just yelling and anger. And now six months, I remember even four months after the album came out in the spring, completely different opinions. Like I, I started seeing public opinion completely shift and his songs started getting a lot of, you know, play and just everywhere. Um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate the way he's a trailblazer and tries new things. And, and a lot of times that kind of music is not understood by the mass when it comes out. It has to sort of filter through the underground and the cool people sort of have to listen to it and make it cool before the mass will actually go, oh, that's, oh, the, oh this song's good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's definitely not the most accessible music. Um, I don't want to sound pretentious here by saying that, but it, it really isn't. And, uh, you know, like I said, I value production. I value energy and creativity. This song in particular checks all those boxes for me. And I can't wait to, uh, to see Cardi in concert in December. I'm going to break something in the mosh pit. I don't know if it's going to be my glasses or my arm, but I'm breaking something in that mosh pit. Cool. Uh, and you're seeing him soon, I guess. Yeah. In December, September, December. December. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I can't wait. I've, I saw him January, 2019. Uh, and he was really good. So can't wait to see him again. Crazy, crazy. You'll you'll have to do uh, a review of the show when, after you see it, how's that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I will. Okay. Let's ask Darren what he thought. Darren, what did you think? Yeah, not for me. Damn. That's a shame. I I was expecting a glowing review on that one from you, Darren. (laughs) Maybe next song. Maybe next song. (laughs) All right. Uh, Now we're going to listen to music from the past. We're doing a thing where we listen to the number one song in the year 2000 and the number one song in 1973. And it's, uh, I have a little jingle for it. Hold on. This week in music history. All right. So the number one song in 1973 was We're an American Band by Grand Funk Railroad. Darren, just hit play. Nick, do you know that song? I I didn't think I did, but then when I started listening to it, it sounded a bit familiar. So maybe I've heard that somewhere in my life. But um, yeah, I, I liked it. I definitely liked it more than the the two thousand uh, representation yeah. for the week. But uh, that's okay. That, that song's been featured in a lot of um, movies, especially a movie in the seventies. Okay. You would have probably heard that song in some dated movies. Uh, and That's the num- probably where it was. Yeah. The number one song in the year 2000 this week is Madonna again with her song Music. I had no idea it was such a big hit. It's been number one for two weeks now. So instead of listening to that song, which we listened to last week, we're going to listen to the number two song, which is <laughs> Give Me Just One Night, Uno Noche by 98 Degrees. Yeah, I won this week, Nick. That's that goes without saying, actually. Yeah, um, not to hate on on Latin music, but it doesn't really move the needle for me. So it yeah, it, it was it was bad. Yeah, yeah, not great. Very dated. Um, 
that yeah just i prefer the the 73 song (laughs) yeah me too all right so as we've been doing uh for the last episode we're going to tell the listeners what our next week's songs are is that correct that's correct tell us what uh, you want me to listen to all right well it is october now and we're getting into spooky season my favorite season of the year but anyway i thought i'd give you a bit of a scary song so we're gonna listen to when it rain by danny brown all right when it rain by danny brown and your song is people are strange by the doors people are strange by the doors you got it yeah so uh, yeah, you can, you, this is the first time we've uh, we've listened to an artist twice. So th- you're going to listen to another Doors. All right, fantastic! I I can't wait. Uh, okay, our independent artist this week is Saint Monet. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit about Saint Monet. Her actual name is Colleen O'Donnell, uh, and she's a vivacious twenty-something classically trained pianist who expanded her artistry to embrace song craftsmanship as a complement to her voice. She's based in Nashville. And has been music has been part of her life for over 18 years. She started on piano when she was five and went to school for classical music. And this is her song, really cool pop song called In Line in In Love. And Nick, we'll talk to you next week. Hope you have a, a great week and good luck on your exam. You got it. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening as always, everyone. Just hit play.
You've been listening to Just Hit Play. To contact your hosts, Peter and Nick, or to be featured on an episode as musical talent, email justhitplay7300 at gmail.com. Keep up to date with news and announcements by following on Instagram and Facebook, linked in the show notes. Subscribe on your favourite podcatcher to tune in next week for more Sonic Delights. And if you can't wait till then, check out the Just Hit playlist on Spotify, linked in the show notes. A special thanks to Braden Munch for the theme song, and thank you for listening.